The practice of being seen is about understanding who you really are and daring to share your truth with the world. This is a conversation with and for seekers, creators, and holders of transformation. We believe that stories shape relationships, and relationships shape stories. This is Rebecca Wong, relationship therapist and founder of Connectfulness. And this is Marisa Gowdy, writer and storytelling coach for Healers. And this is The Practice of Being Seen. The information in this podcast is not a substitute for help from a licensed mental health professional. Welcome to our special edition, episode two and a half. Today, we're going to be talking about alternative facts, relationships, and storytelling. And to start us off, I want to give you a quote from one of my favorite authors, Elizabeth Cunningham. She says, a story is true if it is well told. Now, let me give the context for where she offered that up. Elizabeth is the writer of the Magdalene Chronicles, in which she imagines Mary Magdalene as the partner of Christ. And this heroine happens to also be a Celtic warrior woman named Maeve. So think about a story is true if it is well told from that perspective. Mm. You know, in that context, that sounds delicious. But I hear that quote, and it brings me into current events, too. Of course. And it has a really different texture in that context. Pretty dark. Mm. So what we're going to do today is talk about this idea of alternative facts. Not necessarily from the broad political lens, though we'll get there a little bit, but really from the lens of relationships and storytelling and how we see and use those things in our own lives. How it's really all intertwined, how the, the personal is political and the political is personal. Yeah. And is it different if you're talking about the way facts are used in an intimate relationship and a story you're telling to someone you know face-to-face or have a, a connection to? Or if you're a public official speaking on a very large stage. You know, it's interesting because I'm thinking a little bit right now about family systems. Hmm. And, you know, in, in the field of psychology, this is one way of kind of looking at the world. And one may say, if, you know, operating in this, under this family systems model, that everything political starts at home. The way we are raised, I mean, this is the first political context that we know. Hmm. Political context. Political we learn how to behave. We, we learn how to get along. We learn what is expected of us. We learn what is deemed worthy of being a fact and what isn't. You know, I know one of the things for myself and my own story and in my own healing that I had to work through was when I was a child, I was often told that my feelings weren't true. Mm. Now, that's an interesting play on like alternative facts, right? I'm just breathing into that for a second because certainly that's, you're not alone in having had that experience. And I think even well-meaning parents do that to their children sometimes because holding a child's very large emotions can feel too big and too hard, especially when there's a bus to catch or something like that. Right. And so as a, as a leader, and I'm quoting my fingers here as a leader, our parents sometimes have trouble holding us. Mm. And so the things they can't hold 
are the things that they create other realities for, that they tell us aren't true, that they tell us another story. You know, that is making me think of what's a very common term out there right now, which is gaslighting. Mm-hmm. And that's that concept idea of essentially making somebody feel crazy by debating the truth of what's happening. So we have that term gaslighting from a film that came out in the 40s, I think it was, in which there's a male and female character and he keeps turning down the gas, which controls the lighting in the house. And she's wondering why it's getting darker. And he's telling her, I don't know what you're talking about. It's not getting darker. And this term, which, you know, this idea is, is certainly goes way back in humankind. The term has been around for a long time, but it's only now it's becoming such a big part of the public conversation because we're watching it happen on a broader stage. It's, it's becoming part of our collective consciousness. It's something that we're talking about more, and it's something that I see couples coming into my office naming and talking about on their own. I mean, it's, it's long been part of a lot of women's movement conversations because it's like, what do you mean you're being treated differently? You know, what do you mean you just got, you just got mansplained to you? That didn't happen. And yet, wanting to stand in your truth and say, I know what I just experienced and it didn't feel right. Yeah. And, you know, it, it comes into so many different parts of conversation. You know, mm-hmm. when I'm thinking about what's happening in the political realm... The Women's March was this past Saturday. By the time this episode airs, it will have been probably about three weeks ago. And I'm seeing some confusion about what it was really all about. From where I stand, it was about equality. It was about injustice. It was about standing up not just for me or for you, but for all of us. If any of us have less rights than the others, then we all have less rights. Yes. It's about understanding the holistic vision that says when something happens to a part of the group, it happens to the whole. Yes. And, you know, I think these marches were such an invitation, not only to have deep conversations about issues, but I think also to understand what wholeness really means. Mm-hmm. Because we've used that word in our little ivory towers, in our safe living rooms, amongst people who look a lot like us. And we understand now that that's not how we create a nation and a world we really want to live in. So let's bring this back to where we had had begun with talking about storytelling and relationships and alternative facts. Mm. And... As you may know, storytelling is sacred to me. As It's actually sacred to the human race, I believe. But that idea, again, of a story is true if it is well told. I love that idea because I think about the responsibilities of storytellers and the privilege that one has when you get to control which facts you share, the, which you, you amplify, those that you leave out because they don't fit the storyline. That's something you get to do when you're writing fiction. And it's even something you get to do when you're writing a blog post to help get a specific idea across. Yeah, you get to manipulate the story so that it can serve the purpose that, of making the connection that you want it to make. Yeah, 
And you know, I think it's so interesting you use the word manipulate right oh, there yeah. because that's one of those words that makes you, oh no, no, it's, it's not manipulation. It's, it's storytelling. It, it's good. Well, you're manipulating information. Like right. if you're sculpting something out of clay, you're manipulating the clay. Absolutely. And I understand as, as the basic definition of the term, but certainly that word has shadows around it. Oh, right? yeah. Especially now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 So there's that difference between... What is it that... Can we, can we go there for a minute, though? Yeah. What is it about manipulation that feels so shadowy and dark? Well, you know, we've talked before about that idea of feeling safe and feeling as if the person you're, you're speaking to or who's speaking to you has your best interests in mind and mm-hmm. values your security. Yeah. And I think when, you know, we think about ourselves as storytellers and we think that we're manipulating information in terms of how we present storylines, we're thinking about that. We're thinking about keeping our listeners' best interests at heart, and we don't want to be manipulating information that would harm them in any way, that would, would sway them away from their own truths. We're doing it out of love. We're doing it out of love. And we trust ourselves as a narrator of a story that I'm giving you something that's going to help. You know, this is something that, that comes up for me a lot when I hear stories. Um, when I read stories, when I live into stories, there are some basic questions that I ask myself, consciously or unconsciously. And the questions are pretty much, can I believe you? Can I trust you? Do I feel safe? You know, these are basic questions that couples are asking each other all the time. This, this is about security and relationships. Right, And if we think about the role of fairy tales and myths in our lives, they serve a really similar purpose, right? Maybe it's to teach lessons or to help us feel safer. Do you want to talk a little bit, Marisa, about Little Red Riding Hood? I would love to. We know that story pretty well, right? It's the little girl on her way to her grandmother's house who is told to be careful of the wolves. And eventually, you know, what beautiful, what long teeth you have, Grandma. You can remember the story. That wasn't just an idle tale to tell kids to help them to go to sleep. And it wasn't even because some perverse narrator wanted to spook them. It was really about telling young women to watch their virtue. Because red is the color of passion. Red is not a color that people wanted to associate with young women. And if you should go out with a red cloak on, be careful of those wolves because they're after you. And those, of course, are men who might rape you and might make you, or whom you might fall in love with so you wouldn't be a perfect woman anymore. And I've heard different versions of the Little Red Riding Hood tale. I've heard versions where um, she gets into bed naked with the wolf. Mm. You know, like there's, there's all these different... Um, well, stories change, right? It's like the game of telephone. They change as we, we tell them. In response to what's going on in society right now, in response to what the teller thinks a single reader needs to hear. Mm-hmm. So, so that brings me into politics, right? And 
it has me thinking about the role of alternative facts and the spinning of stories and the manipulation of stories and of truth and of how those stories leave us feeling. Because when I go back to my three questions, can I believe you? Can I trust you? Do I feel safe? That's what I'm struggling with, with our new administration. And I think, you know, certainly this is a, qu- a question for right now, but this is also a question we've, we've been asking ourselves forever, looking at power structures. Because we need, you know, even in administrations that we felt that we were represented and seen and heard, you still do ask that question. But right now it's taken on a fever pitch. And I'm sure that I'm asking that question right now, but there are fellow citizens who are feeling incredibly safe right now, and they probably haven't felt safe for at least eight years. Exactly. Yeah. We're going to speak from our lens and our perspective because it's the only truth we know how to stand in. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. You know, this, this has me thinking of um, the idea of bridges. Hmm. When I work with couples, they come in and they're talking about different storylines, right? One partner has one way of seeing something. It's their perspective. Another partner brings in their perspective to an incident or a conflict that's happened. And the work of couples therapy is essentially to create that bridge where it's not about their individual narratives. It's about their connection. And that's what a bridge is, right? It's about their connection to one another and seeing that they're really both in this for the same reasons, that they have this commitment. And underneath it, their commitment is that they both want to make each other feel safe. That when there's a power struggle in there, when, they, when that's not the goal, when one of them wants more power for one reason or another, and there's always a bit of a power play and a power struggle, it, it kind of shifts and sways naturally in relationships. But when it's not that more natural flow, that's sometimes where we see issues showing up in relationships where things feel really out of balance, when one person needs to maintain the power. Hmm. So as you're, as you're talking about these intimate conversations, it makes me think about the differences and the similarities between what happens between couples and what happens between a citizen and a leader. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Because I keep finding myself saying, yeah, but there's a different standard, isn't there? There's a different texture, isn't there? Is there? Well, let's unpack it, because I think I keep vacillating from one side to the other. You know, the purpose of a family, a family system, is to create safety. Mm-hmm. It's to be a tribe. It's to raise each other up and say, I've got your back, and I'm, I'm in this with you, right? You're safe here. You're one of us. You belong. What's the purpose of a nation? It's not so different. It's, you know, I, as a leader, I will lead you. I will keep you safe. I will, I mean, that's the narrative that I grew up with. I think we might be leaning into a new narrative. Well, we can know what narrative we'd like to give to our children. Mm -hmm. And we know what we're looking around and seeing right now, what we're feeling as adults who have to admit we're a little scared. Yeah. The place I want to take this, and where I'm still kind of sticking with, but it's different, is 
right now we're we're right fresh with this fr- this phrase alternative fact and it came up because of a debate over how many people showed up at the inauguration right in contrast to the women's march exactly and the reason why I'm so I'm thinking about this being presented as the fact of what we know visually there were more people the story that we're being told that in fact there was the biggest turnout ever there's a very big difference between the fact and one individual's story, mm-hmm. right? And then I'm thinking about my own life. And I'm thinking about, like, there's a fact of the matter is I didn't cross off all the items on my to-do list last week and into this week. And that's true, mm-hmm. right? It is. But then there's the story of why. And it involves the inauguration and the march and children having needs and snow days and busy client days. And ultimately, what's more important to you as my friend and my collaborator? Hey, I didn't get everything done that I meant to. Or this is what I've experienced and this is all the things that did get accomplished. And oh, they were really hard. Can I tell you about them and process them? I want to hear your process. I'm, I'm not so interested in what you did or didn't get done. I want to see you. I want to hear the story you tell yourself. And that's because I care about you because you matter. Because we're in relationship with each other. Yeah. And if we were talking about my daughter or my clients or my husband, you know, these are stories that matter. Why is it right now that we're so obsessed with alternative facts? I would say it's because as a people, as a nation, we're looking for facts and we're being given stories. Mm -hmm. And this is not the place for story because as magical as storytelling is, it doesn't belong in every conversation about crowd size, about viewership, that's quantifiable. I think we're, um, we're still looking for holding as a people. We're mm-hmm. still looking for a unifier. We're looking for someone to tell us that we're all safe. Without some common grounds, without some facts we can all agree on. Mm-hmm. We have no stable base, right? Like These are the things that we need. Right? Our constitution begins, we the people. Right. And yet that feels like the thing that's being debated, like which people? Is it all of us? Because you know, the next line is, hold these truths to be self-evident. What's evident right now in a time of alternative fact? I think there's just needs to be the recognition that we're in a space of deep confusion. Mm-hmm. And as much as we want to be good storytellers who offer a great ending and a, after having a good beginning and a strong arc through our podcast, we're in a messy middle and we're all there together. Mm-hmm. But you know, I think this brings us into to this other theme and this note that I, I know we wanted to wind up at in this conversation today, which is about reclaiming the art of the story. And I think this is so much what the movements, the resistance, the women's march, what we're seeing. I mean, this this is a people that are looking to take some initiative 
and some responsibility for the arc of the story. Yeah. And you know, one of the one of the storylines I saw emerging in the days after, you know, when the feeds were just full of so many people marching across the country, was how do you go from a day of action to creating a movement? And the way you do that is by creating a set of stories that the people who involved can hold and understand together. And in that case, that's the role of storytelling because it, in the same way that stories always have, they unify and help create cultures. And so we need to use story in order to offer clarity and connection rather than to gaslight and confuse and throw attention in another area. Because certainly there's a big movement right now that says, wait, if we're all being told to look over there at the big purple elephant, which I actually think is pink, what's happening behind me? Don't pay any attention to the man behind the curtain. Exactly. One phrase that's going around a lot these days is, may you live in interesting times. And that is actually a Chinese curse. But I think we've grown to understand it as a blessing because that's our perspective on the world. But ultimately, we live in interesting times, which means we live in a time full of more questions than answers. We live in a time of stories that are in the messy middle. And we live in a time of stories being used in ways that we just don't agree with, that don't sit well. Mm. You know, where that brings me is in thinking about our collective roles because we're all storytellers and we're all story healers and we're all story holders and we all have a great responsibility to be aware of the stories that we're being told and of how we're digesting those stories and what we're going to do with them and so I think this really brings us into how we how do we reclaim these stories what how do we stand up and say, I'm okay with this story, this, this resonates for me, or no, this story is, is this is going to bring about my activism because I, I'm feeling gaslit right now. I'm not feeling safe and I'm not feeling that this is the world that, that I dream of. And so that means, for me, the first step would be rooting into my own truth rooting into my own story. What is your story? What do you know of it? You know where that just brought me? Where? Well, this is the practice of being seen. It's about seeing yourself. It's about seeing your own story and how all of your relationships are influenced by how you see yourself in the world. When you see yourself, you can discern your place in the stories that you're hearing that are living all around you in a new way. And you can reclaim how you live into them. And you can decide which ones to tune into, which ones require your time and attention, because right now we need some serious filters that allow us to decide who gets to narrate my reality. Ultimately, you narrate your own. Mm -hmm. That feels like a really nice place to end this. 
Thanks so much for being with us today. We are so thrilled to have you on this journey of the practice of being seen. And we're really excited to see where this journey takes us and you. So for more great content, check out thepracticeofbeingseen.com and spread the word by subscribing, rating, and reviewing the podcast. Music written and performed by Christopher Ferris and produced at Kidneystone Studio.